everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. I recently spent one of the most enlightening and enjoyable afternoons with an amazing woman. Dr. Betty Smith is truly changing the way the medical system in this country looks at aging. She's an ultra runner, meaning she runs distances of 50 to 100 miles in one stretch. But there's so much more to Betty's story, and I think you'll be as inspired by her as I am. Take a listen to part one of my three-part conversation with Dr. Betty Holston-Smith. Thank you so much for letting me come into your beautiful home and talk to you about all your secrets. Thank you so much for inviting me to... To, to the talk. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I appreciate it very much. Well, I'm just so inspired by you. I don't even want to start with your age. I think we'll leave, let that be something that we'll, we'll wait for. But you haven't always been a runner. You started a while back, and I think you've really found the secret to not only aging gracefully, but pretty much halting off the aging process through a lot of your work. Tell us about what your goals are as an advocate for this this particular subject. Okay, that's that's a great While place I drink to my start. tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I would like to do is to help others, especially people 40 and over, to understand Mother Nature's secrets in order to age agelessly. And I'm not advocating for everyone to become ultra runners. But you do have to do some aerobic kind of um, activities so that that is a part of your aging agelessly. Uh, a long, long time ago, I was probably where most people are eating whatever I wanted to eating uh, wanted to eat. Um, I was smoking. You smoked. I was smoking. <gasps> Betty. And junk food was my passion. Uh, I would buy Lay's potato chips. Wow. In the advertisement back then was, I bet you can't eat just one. one. <laughs> Isn't that true? For me, it was, I bet you can't eat just one bag. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I was um, overweight, uh, bordering on over 200 pounds. I'd say over 200 pounds because once the scale got to 200 pounds, I blamed the scale and I threw it away. My goodness. And I continued to to gain weight and I continued to have a lifestyle that was not productive as far as health is concerned. And one day, my daughter and I, she was three years old at the time, we were out in in the park and she tagged me and said, Mommy, you can't catch me. And I really could not catch her. I mean, I was really so out of shape that I could not catch a three-year-old. And at that point in time, I'm looking back on this, I think a seed was planted sort of in the back of my mind. I mean, I didn't just stop all of a sudden and get on this healthy kind of lifestyle, but I took very, very baby, baby steps to be able to make some changes because I was worried about not being around for my daughter to Sure. help her grow up and to right. see her uh, you know, finish high school, finish college, get married, have grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And I sincerely wanted to be around for her. So I say 
that that probably was the moment that something stirred inside of me. And now I can look back and say it was passion. It was passion to want to continue to be a mother to this three-year-old. And I knew, I just knew that if I did not take some steps to change things, that I would never be around. So I'm going to fast forward all the way down to today. Okay. From and that moment. To, which, it's to hard today. to believe all that, Betty. I, my mouth is just dropping. I can't believe you smoked and you were you were that heavy. And here you are today. And I can attest, she is uh, she's a specimen. So go ahead. How? Where well, are you now? Here, here's where I am right now. Um, as you said, I'm an ultra runner, and I fell in love with running, and Let's became see. an ultra running over. Let's explain what an ultra runner okay. is. An ultra runner is a runner who runs at, a, at in one event, 26.2 miles or more. Well, I completed 75 marathons over my life. And I, I did a marathon on six of the seven continents. And I did a half marathon on the Great Wall. Wow. So at some point, I'll go back and do a whole marathon on the Great Wall. But I did, of my 75 marathons, I did six of the seven in e- on each of the uh, continents. And um, I also completed two Boston marathons over the years. Uh, as of this point in time, I'm told by the experts that I have run over 100,000 miles wow. over about 40, over 40 years worth of running. But an ultra run, uh, uh, ultra runs are 26.2 miles or more. You know, you can take one step beyond 26.2 miles and you're into ultra running. Well, I just completed, um, I have completed 15 ultra runs over about five years or so. Um, the last ultra run was a couple of months ago, and it was a 72-hour race. I did the race without a nap. I didn't sleep it off for three days and three nights. Wow. And I did it um, without a break. And I ran over 100 miles, and I did what they call a negative split, which is running the second half of the race faster than the first half. That's incredible. Which is very, very difficult to do once you get beyond 10 miles. Very difficult to do. It's so Betty, unheard of. Tell me, how do you not take a break? I mean, does that mean you didn't stop at all? I didn't stop at all, except I did have one problem, and I've been working on this, but I, I cannot solve this problem. And the problem is controlling the weather. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you were, it was in Phoenix, Arizona, so the in, weather's pretty perfect there. The weather's perfect as far as I am concerned. It was like nearly 80 degrees and sunny during the day. Right. But at night, it went down to 28 degrees. Yeah. And I have trouble running in the cold. I have to watch hypothermia. And it's very dry. And it's very dry. So at night, I had to go into the warming tent. They had a warming tent with heaters where you could go and warm yourself and warm your gloves and dry your clothes Mm -hmm. and then get back out. 
So I had to go into the warming tent at night for each of the three nights. And uh, other than that, I did not take a break. I have, I have over the years become a very, very strict, vegan, organic, whole foods, the whole nine yards. And I prepare and take on site to these races of my food. So I don't do junk at all. And I was able to, to sustain myself with the food that I needed to, to make sure that my body had exactly what it needed to be able to run three days and three nights without a break. That's incredible, Betty. So you finished this race, and <laughs> I think I saw you not long after that. Didn't you come to speak? Yes, to I Bukit? did. And it didn't seem like it faced you. <laughs> it didn't. I, I do these races without a need for recovery. I have no muscle soreness, no muscle stiffness. I have absolutely no problems, no issues at all with my running. Okay, and one other thing that I thought was fascinating about you, you don't seem to need to sleep as much as the rest of us. That's exactly true. Can you explain that? That's exactly true. Over the years, because of my level of fitness, and the doctors, my doctors, I have a team of doctors, cardiologists, an endocrinologist, a podiatrist, and a, a general practitioner. And they all are just amazed because I don't need eight hours of sleep or 10 hours of sleep. For the last 30 years, I've, I have uh, been able to sleep only four hours. And I was part of a sleep study at one of the universities a few years ago. And they found that I go into um, rapid eye movement, REM sleep immediately. Wow. And I stay there for about four hours. And then I come up from, from REM sleep immediately. So if a person struggles to get down to REM sleep and it takes them three hours, and they stay there for four hours, that's seven hours already, mm -hmm. and then it takes one or two hours to come up. So that's eight or nine or 10 hours that they think that they have been sleeping, you know, as far as the quality of the sleep is concerned, they've only slept four hours with high quality, right, right. deep, uh, rapid eye movement sleep. So the key is to get to that REM sleep And quickly. the only thing the doctors can tell me, the reason for that is that uh, my level of fitness is such that it defies everything that that medical science has talked about or researched around the human body in aging. Well, you you are the essence of defying everything that medical science has <laughs> has put out to the public. Okay, so you to come from where you were. X number of years ago where you were smoking and you were heavy and you didn't exercise and you, you had a lot of challenges to where you are today you have some secrets and, and you absolutely you want to reveal these I, I'm very very happy <laughs> to reveal them but the first first thing that I would like to say is that it was not easy right okay when I went into trying to take better care of myself so I could be around for my daughter. 
I had no clue what road I was stepping on until I got there. Um, one secret was passion. I was really, really passionate about being around for my daughter. The other passion had to do with understanding what I needed to do to begin the process. And I knew I needed aerobic exercise and I knew I needed it for at least at that time, this was 44 years ago or so, at that time I needed to do at least 30 minutes of aerobic exercise where I could get my heart rate up 20 beats above the resting heart rate and keep it up for 30 minutes and do this three times a week. Well, nowadays you can go on the internet and you can find out all of this information, but hey, we had no internet right, you're right. back then. And there, there could have been information in the scientific journals, you know, the Circulation Journal, American Heart Association Journal, you know, those very technical scientific journals, which I had no access to. Right. But I did have access to a medical doctor who was board certified and who was so far beyond his time that he talked about, he had a radio talk, uh, call-in talk show, um, and I would listen to him constantly, and he practiced medicine here in my area, which is the Washington, D.C. area, for years, and I can I tell you his name is Gabe Merkin. And a long, long time ago, the medical profession uh, had very little respect for him. But now... He was a little out there. He I've was. I've been in to see him, too. I like him. He was. But he made a lot of sense to me. He did, And I started yeah. listening to him, and I started following the information that I was gaining from him. And one was, you have to exercise at least three times a week, get your heart rate up, and keep it up for 30 minutes, and get your heart rate up 20 beats above the resting rate. I used to run out when... I, there were no running shoes. No one was out. This was before the running boom. Uh, I had what they used to call dunglerees <laughs> and kid shoes. You ran and in I jeans? Ran, yes. And kids. Exactly. And <laughs> that's what was available. I used to get cat calls from the cars, and people would always ask my family, they was, what are you doing? You know, people think you're crazy, and my neighbors would be looking. And, and this was before the the jogging exactly, craze. Before, um, before Forrest Gump took off on his exactly cross country. But jog. you know, <laughs> I um, I was passionate about running. I was passionate about taking better care of myself. And finally, with Dr. Merkin's help, I was on the right track. I knew I was on the right track because here's a secret. From mother, from mother Nature. Uh, I started running and I continued running. And each week, each month, each year, I could run more and I felt better and better and better. You know, health-wise, I mean, I just would get up in the morning ready to go. The more I ran, the better I felt, not only about my health, but about myself 
and also at the table with food. The more I ran, the less I wanted to eat the junk. So I didn't give up all of the junk all at one time. Back then, we had no information, as I mentioned earlier. Back then, it was a diet, and it was, or it was diet pills. I went the diet pills route, and I tried all of those diets to eat half of what you normally eat diet. The, the grapefruit, grapefruit diet. <laughs> it's the most famous one. Every kind of diet, and I even went to some of the commercial weight loss companies, and I won't name them, but mm-hmm. but they're still around today. But nothing was working. Because as soon as I got off of the diet pills or stopped eating half of what I normally would eat, of course the weight would come back. And the problem with that is, for me, it the weight would bring their friends along. Mm-hmm. So I would lose weight and then I would gain more weight. That yo-yo syndrome. That yo-yo, absolutely. So I decided that I would continue running because I really enjoyed the running. And then I found out that the running helped me not to eat the junk. The more I ran, the less fat kind of food I wanted to eat. So that's a secret of Mother Nature. For people who are um, bordering or on uh, uh, hypertension, high blood pressure, and if your doctor told you to cut back on your salt, some people are salt sensitive and they shouldn't have salt because it raises the blood pressure uh, ultimately. If they would cut back on salt a little bit at a time, and I try to cut it out all at one time, and you really need to work through your doctor with this, but I will tell you the secret Mother Nature has is once you cut back on salt, let's say you do a half teaspoon of salt a month, okay, and you cut it back to a quarter teaspoon, and you hang in there, because you will have some craving for that half teaspoon a month. You want to sprinkle a little bit more. But try to hang in there because eventually, and it won't take long, maybe it'll take a few weeks, but your body will readjust itself to the quarter teaspoon, the eighth of a teaspoon, or whatever it is with salt. And that's what happened with me with the running. The more I ran, the less junk food I wanted. Somehow Mother Nature has this secret that she will serve to you on a silver platter only if you do the work to get to the place where you can can receive that silver platter from Mother Nature. So it wasn't about stopping because I was a junk food person just like everyone else. I mean, I would eat, I had a a co-worker who made the best German chocolate cakes in the entire (laughs) world. And she made one for my birthday. And I took it home and I ate the whole cake. I mean, that's where I was. Mm. So it wasn't like I was just kind of, you know, eating. Dabbling in junk food. Exactly. This was very, very serious. And I got to the point where I had a relationship with that German chocolate cake. (laughs) The kind of relationship eating relationship that I would have if you served me a plate full of worms. Oh. 
So that's hard I, to believe. I'm, wow. I'm very, very serious about that. And that's one of the secrets, another one of the secrets of Mother Nature. You know, she really takes good care of you. And another secret of Mother Nature is once you begin to take charge of your health by doing things that you should do in order to, and the bottom line is to age agelessly, is Mother Nature will take charge of helping you to improve the health of every system in your body. It's all connected. So if you eat junk and you're pre-diabetic or you are pre-hypertension or hypertensive or if you have any health problems looming and you begin to take steps to turn those health problems around and become a healthier person, Mother Nature will support that and support your entire body, okay? Here's how she does it. And I experienced all of these things. She will help you to think more clearly. When I go out for a run, even way back when, I could think more clearly. If I'm working on a problem at work or something, and I go out for a run, it's solved. It's not that I was thinking about the problem necessarily, consciously, but when I got back to, I used to run it at lunchtime. When I got back to the office, then my, my problem was taken care of. Whatever it is, whatever it was, I could, could move, move forward from that. She helps you to sleep better. You sleep sounder because you're feeling better. You're taking better care. And believe me, whatever it is that you put inside your body, that's not good for your body. Most systems in your body react to that. Okay? Let's say that you're, you have hypertension and you're on medication and you keep your blood pressure below 120 over 80, but you sprinkle a lot of salt and you are salt sensitive. You sprinkle a lot of salt. Well, don't expect for the medication to do the entire job because your body will react to that extra salt. So if you're on medication, stay on your medication, but try to support the medication by taking steps to have a, have a more nutritious, a healthier lifestyle to support the medication and Mother Nature in her infinite wisdom will fix it if you work hard enough. For some people, not all, all people, but for some people, and I would say for most people, you probably could come off of that medication under your doctor's care because now your lifestyle has moved in and you no longer need the medication. You know, so that's another one of the secrets. She takes charge of helping you to, to fine tune, to tune up, however you want to say, each system in your body. Because if you have a problem in one part of the system, it 
definitely does have a bearing on other parts of your system in your body. You know, so for me, I just did what I needed to do and I found that Mother Nature would support what I was doing. So I'm training now for a six day race. Four wasn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't enough. And that was another thing that I found out about myself and about sticking to the programs, staying on the path toward ageless aging. I always had to have another challenge out there for myself. everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. This is part two of my incredible conversation with Dr. Betty Holston-Smith. In this segment, she talks about the importance of challenge. She also touches on being one of two black students that first year of desegregation in 1956. She talks about her spiritual beliefs and the joys of grandparenting. She also teaches us how to find and cultivate our own tenacity. Here's Betty. So um, once I completed running on this continents, seven continents, and I did uh, Antarctica. I went to Antarctica. I'm the coldest person in the world. Wow. And I I have all of these layers on when it's wintertime here, Mm -hmm. when I'm out uh, running. But I went to Antarctica to run a marathon. And um, I for my 60th birthday. That was my birthday present to myself. I went to Antarctica to run. And I ran a marathon in, um, I I ran the Pyramids Marathon in Egypt. And I was the only woman in the race in Egypt, in the Mm. desert, running. And I went to New Zealand to run the first marathon of the millennium and in 2000, I got on an airplane when everybody was wondering about Y2K and what's going to happen mm-hmm. with the airplanes and the computers and all. Well, I'm on my way to... Didn't have time for any of that nonsense, n- did you? Not at all. And I, ha- I have to have a challenge. And those were sort of challenges for me. I went to Tahiti to run a marathon, the most beautiful marathon that I've ever run, I think. Mm, and that, um, that was a real challenge. Uh, to be able to go halfway around the world to run a marathon. And then, as I said earlier, I switched to ultra running because I needed another challenge. Now, I'm looking back on this, and I can see clearly what I was doing, but when I was doing it, I had no clue that I was after yet another challenge for myself. So I wanted to qualify for Boston, and I was in my 60s, and I got a coach from my running club and the most difficult training program probably on the planet at that time for someone my age. He had never worked with anyone older than I would say 35 or 40 and I was in my 60s. But he did help me and I listened to him and I, I followed his program to the letter so I was able to qualify for Boston and, and run Boston Marathon a couple of times. And just coming down the years, I always p- 
put that running challenge out there. But at the same time, I also put other challenges in my life that had nothing to do with running. Such as? Such as um, in high school, uh, this is one of the main reasons why I was able to get on this path to greater health because of my growing up experience in my family and because I was one of two black little black girls back in 1956 to integrate the freshman class at Bethesda Chevy Chase Senior High School. And it was a very, very, very difficult first year, 10th grade year. Very, very difficult. That was 1956. The Desegregation Act was signed in 1954, and my father gave his kids, he had six of us, four girls and two boys, two years to get ready to go to integrate the schools. Well, we lived in Chevy Chase, Maryland. I grew up in Chevy Chase and um, on a little street with just black families and all of this affluence around, but we weren't not rich or anything as far as money was concerned, but we were very rich otherwise. Uh, my father and mother were not educated, but they knew the value of education. So, so our house was the homework house. <laughs> we had the encyclopedias, we had the dictionaries and pencils and everything. And my father was the type of father who knew the value of education, as I said, and he supported us. My mother was the one around the kitchen table with us doing our homework. And even if you didn't have homework, you weren't even in school yet, you still had homework to do. And um, we just, I just grew up in a place where education was my job as a, as a young kid. So when it was time to integrate the school, my father put his foot down and said, Betty, you will go. Well, it was very difficult because no one was ready for integration. The first time I ever stepped foot in the school was the first day of school. I got out of my mother's car and I remember just looking around at this huge building on East West Highway in Bethesda, Maryland, and wondering, what do I do? Where do I go? What's happening? What what should I do? I had no clue where to go, what what to do at all. High school scary enough it, without being it, one of two. It really was. Yeah. And um, I found out that I had to rely on myself to survive because my parents would not listen because I really wanted to go back to the black school. There was no chance of that. That was your comfort zone. That was my comfort zone. And the principal, who was really nice, but he had no clue, and he said, whenever you feel like you can't take it, because you're the only one, only black kid in your particular class, or if the kids are being mean to you and throwing your books around and spitting on you and calling you names, you come to the office and I'll give you a pass and you could go to the library to read or you could work here in the office. 
that was really no help because I was missing. I, I took advantage of that <laughs> I mean, big time, and yeah, I was missing. I was missing too much school, um, you know, too many classes, and a couple of teachers intervened and said, "You come here. Don't go to the principal's office. You come here if you can't take it, and we'll figure it out. And you are going back to your class. You know, you aren't gonna you aren't gonna get by with that." And looking back, uh, they were great. But at the time, you know, I, I wanted what the principal was going to allow me to do. But the bottom line was that I learned that I had the strength inside of myself to survive. I finished high school on time. I was advised by the counselor in the 10th grade to switch from the academic to the commercial course so I could learn shorthand and typing and then I could get a job in the federal government because back then black people, especially black young girls, would not be able to have a job, be hired in an office situation. And you, uh, so you needed to pass the civil service exam to go to the government for a job. And you do not have the brain power to go to college and be successful, so therefore you need to go to the commercial course. So, and pass the civil service exam, get a job in the government. So I switched. Back then, your elders, especially ones in authority, like a teacher or a counselor, you listened. Right. And I did, I switched. And I learned shorthand and I learned typing and I passed the civil service exam and I got a job in the federal government, the United States Department of Labor Women's Bureau. All right. I hated it. Oh. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. I thought that was going to be a that great experience not, for you. That was not Hard. what I needed. So what I did was I went went back to school, went to college at night. Nice. And all told, I stayed in college um, 20 years. Okay, um, not 20 years straight, but but all told, it was 20 years because I was going at night, and it, they were tr the counselor was right. My parents could not afford to send all of the kids to college. We had to work, and I had to work, and I got my undergraduate degree in early childhood education, and. I went back at some point and I got an MBA and an MPA and I went back and I got a doctorate in early and middle childhood and I told myself that this challenge thing, I always loved school and I was passionate about school. So the passion drove me to finish up those degrees over time, working full-time, a full-time wife and mother with the family. And I still finished just about at the top, well, at the top of the undergraduate in all A's, uh, basically with a couple of B's and maybe a C or two sprinkled in for the MBA, the MPA, and the and the doctorate. 
So I'm working really hard. I always was a hard worker and I'm working very, very hard, but I'm being just, uh, the, the, the passion was what kept me on the track to finish. Can I ask you, Betty, what, what, did you have an inner voice that told you, I need to go to college, I need to do this? Or, like, where did that come from, this drive and this, you, you obviously are very inner driven. Where, where do you think that came from? I believe that it comes from my, my upbringing and my family with my parents. Mm-hmm. Were, you, were you a religious family? Do you have- uh, my, my, I'm not really um, religious, me. I'm very, very spiritual. Um, my mother was a minister, so mm. so we were. I grew up in the Sunday school, in the um, the AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. and um, for a while there, I was a worker in the church. I sang in the choir. I couldn't carry a tune, but somehow <laughs> I sang in the choir, and I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed my um, time that I was a part of that kind of organized religion. And then I decided for me, um, religion is bigger than the organization of religion. (laughs) People don't understand that, but I do. And what it really means to me is that I don't care what organized religion it is. It can be Muslims, it could be Jews, it could be Christians, it could be Hindus, it could be any religion. That if I had the opportunity to strip away, you know, the layers like an onion, just strip the layers away, and I would get down to the source, it's one source, and man, along the years, they were the ones to put the layers on top of this one source, depending on who they were, where they were, and what was going on in the lifestyle, wherever they were. So for me, religion is more spiritual rather than organized religion. And do you call that source God? Um, I, I'm not, I, what I call it, what I think it is, it's I have the name God, I have a higher power, I have the name God, but it's not attached to any organized religion the way I know sure. it now. Sure. I think all of the books, all of the religious books, the Quran, the Bible, they all have basically the same message. If you strip away some of the, uh, I guess, some of the tenets that man kind of put on and the way man has tried to interpret, um, it's all down to basically the golden rule. And that's how I try to live my life. I've been un- misunderstood a lot in my life because of my my way of living, uh, not just the way I'm living now, but over the years, and 
what I find is important and what I cannot allow myself to do, even though it may put a, um, what can I say, it may, it may um, help me to, uh, I can't uh, verbalize this, but let me try again. That it may, the things that I do, let me give you an example. For example, I have two grandsons, and my daughter um, finally got married at age 37. So we were happy that she got married, and then she had the first child at age 40 and the second one at age 41. So we didn't think we would have grandchildren. So we do have grandchildren. They're now uh, seven and six. And my field, my professional field, was early and middle childhood. And I worked in, the, I, I taught for a very, very short period of time. And I found as a teacher, I was in this box. I had to get out of the box. Mm -hmm. See, I've never been contained yeah. in a box. Mm -hmm. And I um, was able to eventually opened my own business, an early childhood consulting business, which got me um, around the country. I visited every state in the union doing consulting. And also I had a job at one point working for the Army Child Development Program, which got me to some of the countries around the world. So I have a lot of experience in and out of programs in different areas of the world. And when my children, my grandchildren were born, I decided to put my business completely on the side. It was a very lucrative business. I was very happy and I was gonna be there for the rest of my life. And I put it on the side to take charge of my grandchildren because I'm the grandmother and who could be better able to take charge and work with these children and than because the grandmother. It, it felt like the right thing to do, I'm sure. It was absolutely the right the thing to do. So that's what I did. And I structured my life around these children. And I was still doing my running and I was still doing a little tiny bit of consulting, which I finally it just uh, let all of that go. And I have to do 100%. Whatever I take on, I can't half do it. I have to do 100%. So whatever I've taken on in life, whether it was the running or whether it's the, being the grandmother and helping these, these uh, two little angels that I see every day, and I see them absolutely every day, and I have been in their lives just about every day since they were born. Lucky for them. And lucky for me because mm. it has been such a rewarding kind of thing. People don't realize, and my friends and some family members say, why do you give up so much of your life? Um, now it's time for you to be about you. Well, this is about me. Yeah. They don't get it. It's joy. You know, it's it joy. really, really is. And I'm very, very fortunate that they live 10 minutes away. But that's, that's a part of who I am. I could never, I have never been able to have do anything. If I'm taking on something, 
somehow there's passion with it. And what I found out at BCC, uh, Bethesda Trevor Chase Senior High School, those three years that I was there and integrated, helped, helped to integrate it, I found out that I have this strength inside that I can rely on. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that everyone, every human being has the capacity inside to stick to something, to take on a challenge and meet it. All you have to do is know that you have the qualities of success inside of yourself. Reach in there and get it. Don't let it just stay and lie dormant. Now for me, I found that out at BCC, those three years. Early on. Early on. Not everybody has that, that opportunity to but find I that strength. But I want to tell them that they might. Mm -hmm. Okay? Most people learn to ride a bike. Okay? Mm -hmm. Most people. You don't get on a bike and go off riding into the sunset. You're on that bike and you fall off. You get back on, you fall off again, you skin your knee, you might break an arm, you may do whatever, but you eventually learn to ride the bike. What do you think helped you to stick to learning to ride a bike? And that's just something very simple that most people can relate to. Yeah, I remember when I was learning to ride a bike. And see, I was learning to ride a bike before there were training wheels. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> and, scary. And that's, that's yeah. how I look at the experience of integrating BCC. There were no mm. training wheels not for me at, at not BCC. For you. Not at all. Not for you. But I, I made a success out of it. You know, I finished school. I had passing grades. And I did what I needed to do. And afterwards, I'm looking back. The reason why I was a success and the reason why you learned to ride the bike was because of qualities of success inside of yourself, like sticking to it, being passionate about it, and not letting anything keep you from getting back on that bike, even though you skinned your knee and you had to go get stitches, some of you. You know, so there are lots of examples like that, but some some experiences are are less trying than others. You know, for some people it was passing the law, um, you know, exam and wanting to practice law in a certain place, and you finished law school and all. Now you have to buckle down and pass that law uh, exam. And what you do is, you're now a lawyer, so you look back on that. You may not have passed the exam, the bar exam the first time, but what did you do? You went back, you grabbed something from inside of yourself, and you went back, and you took that exam again and again until you passed it. Some That's, people are not exam kind of people. Right. That's tenacity, sticking to it. Sticking exactly. To it. everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. 
In this final segment of my conversation with Dr. Betty Smith, she talks about stepping outside of the box of our conventional belief systems. She teaches us how to retrain our medical providers to work with us to achieve our wellness goals. She challenges our current medical paradigm, which looks for disease, with a new approach which focuses on maximizing our own human physical potentials. Betty truly is aging agelessly, and she wants to teach us all how to do it too. Take a listen to my final segment with Betty Smith. You know, Betty, I really want to talk about your stepping outside of the box because obviously you've never been a person, you know, at, at BCC when you were one of the two black girls in that class, you were in the box to some extent, but you weren't. You didn't allow okay. yourself to be in that box. And now as society tells us that we have to age in a certain way and this is what it looks like to grow old and die right. in our society, you are you are here to tell us that there might be another way, correct? There definitely is another way. I mean, it definitely is. And I have to fight for my way every time I go. Well, not with the doctors on my team, but initially I had to. I think you've proven it to the doctors. That you exactly, but <laughs> it wasn't no prototype always. There's no prototype for It wasn't for always that way. Right. I, I went, I, and I'm a cautious kind of person. I mean, I'm really, I do my research. I don't have a TV. I haven't had a TV for eight years, you know. I'm a reader, and also I, I do jigsaw puzzles, and I meditate, and I do other things. The TV was invading something inside of me that I had to get mm. rid of it. But the doctors, they all have a certain education within a certain period of time and they all have these medical books that they use and they all, I shouldn't say all, let me back up and say most, most look at patients through the screen of what's in the medical book. Okay, here's a great example of the education that I helped my doctors receive from me because I did not allow them to look at me through that screen. And I had to almost yell and scream at them. <laughs> but it was okay, okay because I knew where they were. And here's an example. I read um, information about a doctor at Harvard University who did research for 20 years on running in your bare feet. Okay, I just ran into that some somewhere. And I read it and I was very, very amazed at what he found out and, and what he determined from his research. And I decided to try to, to take off my conventional shoes, my conventional running shoes, and take the steps to go to run in my bare feet. Very cautious. Right. So my very, very first thing was to take my shoes off at a quarter mile high school track and run around the grass. Take a lap, run a lap around the grass, you know, to see if anything would be up. Would I be hurting or whatever or whatever. And I had no issues at all. 
So I put my shoes back on and I decided that that wasn't enough. I needed to go see the podiatrist, my doctor, and have him take a look at me and give me some advice on if I take my shoes off and run in my bare feet, am I setting myself up for some problems later on? Because I'm not feeling anything right now, so later on. And that's a preventive approach that doctors are probably like, whoa, I don't see this every day. What is this woman doing? You know, right? Yeah, he right? said that she must be absolutely crazy because I was uh, in my 60s when I did that. So I went in to the doctor and he examined my feet. He looked at it. He, I walked. I had to run up the hallway and he was watching. And, you know, he did. He did a really nice exam, and he said, and I have bunions, and he says, <laughs> don't we all? well, the bunions don't bother anything with the barefoot running, but I would tell you that at your age, you should not do this. You need the cushioning and the stability and, you know, all of this that's built into the shoe. I don't see any problem with you running in your bare feet. But this is the state of the art, the shoe that you're wearing, and you want to protect your feet, you want to protect your arch, you want to protect your metatarsals, you want to protect, you know. He didn't know Betty. So I, <laughs> I told him that, thank you very much for letting me know. I appreciate all of the information, and I really appreciate the information you said about there are no issues. <laughs> if you should decide to run in your bare feet. And then he also said, if you do this and you feel anything, you come back. I want to see you again. Okay? Well, I did go back, but not for that reason. So, again, I'm doing my research, and there's very little research about running in bare feet back then. And what happened was, I decided that I would take a year to make the transition. Some people do it in a few weeks or months. I wasn't going to do that because I'm more cautious. So I started running in what um, ASICs put out as trainers. And trainers are more minimal shoes that you wear during speed work on the track. At this time, I'm working with the coach to qualify for Boston. So I'm doing a lot of running on the track in these trainers, okay? I started running outside in those trainers, you know, on the roads. I had no problem. So I kept, I kept running and I kept checking it out. And then I went into, Nike came out with um, a series of shoes called Nike Free. And most shoes were probably 12 or 15 ounces in weight. Nike Free was 7 ounces. And I started out with their 7 ounce version and I ran in them for a long time, almost a year. Then I went to their 5 ounce version and I ran in there for some more months and then the 3 ounce version. And then I heard about um, the five finger shoes. Mm -hmm. Uh, before they became running shoes, they were boating kind of shoes. So I got a pair of the boating 
version of the five fingers and I started wearing those and I loved them and I wasn't having any problems. I went back to the podiatrist and with my five finger shoes, he couldn't believe it. So he gave me some more advice. He said, the only thing I can tell you is that your feet and your legs are stronger. You're stronger. I don't understand how you're doing this, but you're stronger. I can't tell you not to run in your bare feet or in these minimal shoes because you've gotten stronger. Now, you come back and see me if you ever have any problems. Well, I did go back to see him, but not for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept moving along, and then I got to the point where it was really, really cold one December, uh, one winter here in D.C., and I couldn't wear the five fingers, and I needed to find shoes that were completely flat like your feet, but could cover my feet so that I could run in the cold. And I just happened to find Vivo Barefoot Shoes. This is the Clark Shoe Company from England. They had one store here in the United States in New York. I called the New York store and told them what I was doing, how old I was, and exactly what I was looking for. So they advised me to to try their Vivo Barefoot Aqua Shoe. And they sent me a, I, I did a mail order. I got those shoes. They were absolutely wonderful. I got put them on, I didn't want to take them off. And I could wear them in the cold, in the rain, in the snow. And they began to send me shoes. Wow. These are $150 per, and they were asking me for feedback on the shoes because I'm of my age. So I continued running in their shoe, and they that, that shoe was not made for running. So they made one from the ground up for running, and I continue to run in their shoes, and I continue to run in their shoes today and I guess they've sent me maybe 12 or 15 over the years. This is maybe a s six years now. Uh -huh. I've been running in their shoes. I wear their shoes, and now they have a version of the shoe with the lining. The shoe has a lining, and I run in the lining. Wow, that's really light. That's nothing but bare feet, actually. Can I, can I ask you something personal? Can you show me your feet? <laughs> <laughs> Show me your feet. They're ugly. Oh, my well, feet are absolutely ugly. Feet are, feet are not. Oh my gosh, they just look like see, normal feet. See that? They've ugly. had a lot of miles. You've got nice ankles too, Betty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Betty, you are so inspiring. Here, have your shoe. Um, I I am so blessed to be able to sit here with you. I thank you so much for for um, showing me your feet and for. For inviting me into your home to hear your story and I think there's so much more that we can learn from you so I hope you'll let me come back after your six day run oh yes oh gosh yes and by the way I'm going to be establishing the record the, the national and probably the world record for the 48 hour run and for the six day run for the category of females 70 to 74 
never been established. Okay, so now the age has been revealed. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was time. It was time. Oh, okay. okay, Betty, as we sit here, your your body is 72 years young. I'm 72, yeah. 72. And right. does how do you feel in that body? I don't... Uh, I look at other people who are 72. I don't relate to that at all because... I, I'm not an age. What are I you? don't feel like I'm what are an what age. are we? I think that I am ageless. That's what I think. I think I'm ageless. There are things that I can do. I've run sixty miles a week for six years. Hmm. Basically seven days a week. Well, I think you're ageless too. And I I wanna be like you. I, well, <laughs> I I'm I would love I would love to open I'm I'm working toward opening a business not to make money but to help people to take better care of themselves that's the business is you're basically saying anything is possible anything is possible people can be wherever they are right now as far as their health is concerned and aging and if they knew some of the secrets that Mother Nature has that I have been able to uncover, they can have a better life as they age. They don't have to abide by how medical science looks at aging for each of us. You know, there, there are things that you can do to age agelessly. And it's all about your lifestyle. And you call this aging agelessly as nature intended. Lessons from a 72-year-old barefoot ultra marathon runner, Betty Smith. So if someone wants to get in touch with you to speak at their event or um, to write an article or to be interviewed, or how would they get in touch with you? Well, they can um, email me, which would probably be the best way. Okay. At? At Dr. Betty S, that is D-R-B-E-T-T-Y-S, at AOL.com. Okay. All right, Betty. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you break that record. I'm sure it will be nothing for you. Establishing <laughs> It's it. done yes. already. It's done. Yeah, it is, and it's okay. That is uh, yet another challenge. Okay, well, I think it's almost time for you to go pick up your babies, your yes. grandbabies from yes. the bus. Yes, and I will tell it's you. It's been such a pleasure. That they understand nutrition and what it, how important it is mm. for a healthy body. You're they starting them that. off right. Starting yes. them off. Their favorite good. snack is broccoli. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great, yeah, broccoli. Well, thank you, Betty. It's been such a pleasure. We will talk again. Yes. I might be stalking you. <laughs> <laughs> Come and join me. I would love it. Take care. Thanks. Thank you.